It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 1st of June. An incredible game one with a blunder like no other. We'll talk about it. Tony Brown of Oregon's in town. He's interesting. I watched him last night. I'll share some thoughts before his workout. And we have a plethora, a glut, a surplus, an overabundance of questions left over from yesterday. And we'll get to them. Coming up on Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Hope you're doing great. Thanks very much for tuning in. This is your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you inside expertise, geeky numbers, look behind the curtains, and all the rest on the Jazz. Uh, LockedOnSports.com has all of the notes for you on the, or all of the information coming out of Locked On Podcast Network. If you are only interested in the NBA, LockedOnNBA.com. And if you like just the Jazz, it's LockedOnJazz.net. And like, uh, Garrett and Leaf, who over the years have done a bunch of draft work for Locked on Jazz, will be doing it again this year, so we should have some great content coming your direction. All right, let's get to it. i got a plethora of all those big words. I used I used a thesaurus this morning. It's, it's a fun thing. Uh, but let's quickly touch on last night's game. Obviously, the J.R. Smith blunder is Bill Buckner-esque. I mean, I think it's really, truly one of the mo- greatest fails in the history of sports. I don't know that J.R. Smith makes the shot. I don't know that. But to not know the score in that setting and be that not in tune to an NBA Finals game. I mean, in some ways, Bill Buckner just makes a mistake. I find what J.R. Smith did maybe bigger. And then when you put into it that LeBron was superhuman, that. Cleveland played about as well as they possibly could. And that that feels as though it was their chance. That that's a series changing, maybe makes it a six-game series or a five-game series, but frankly, it feels very similar to Toronto-Cleveland game one where there's no way Toronto should have ever lost. And they then get swept on a series that, you know, feels like Toronto got Dwayne Casey fired, absurdly. Someone's going to benefit from that. Uh, and got a... And, and the, you know, sat, we remember that series of blowout, but frankly, game one, Toronto should have won. And game three, LeBron hits a superhuman shot to pull off the victory. So that game's actually a lot closer um, than we thought. LeBron cannot be better than he was last night. Uh, Golden State was okay, uh, and Frank, at times were great, but that's what Golden State does. Um, Golden State got great shot quality all night. They made their shots there. I mean, their effective field goal percentage was 58% last night. The only way that Cleveland stayed in the game is the 19 offensive rebounds. Cleveland's offensive rating last night was a 114. I don't know how many more times they get that, but Golden State's offensive rating last night was a 124. Now, somewhat because they scored every time in overtime, but 124, I mean, our biggest concern about the chance of having a good series was simply that in transition, it seemed almost impossible that they Cleveland 
would be able to get any stops, and the Warriors' offense is simply too good. And that's really kind of, you know, the Warriors this year had nearly 300 more transition opportunities than the next team in the league. And they averaged 1.3 points per game on transition. Cleveland allowed the most transition of anyone in the NBA. Like, it's too much to overcome. Cleveland allowed... 1,539 transition opportunities. Next closest was Houston. Defensively. We were in the middle of the pack. And then who was the worst defensive team in the league in transition? Cleveland was sixth worst. Chicago, New Orleans, Minnesota, Clippers, and Denver. Denver's got all these stats that make you wonder about Jokic, frankly. So, you know, you suddenly get into this matchup and and last night and... It seems as though you're going to end up with, you know, Golden State last night had 21 transition opportunities at 1.67 points per transition. They're not going to lose if that's the case. And that was their chance to lose a game. I I think it's a sweep now. I I think this now goes, J.R. Smith's blunder, this becomes a sweep, and everyone says it wasn't close. Hey, I, I still think Golden State would have won this series easily. But Cleveland was brilliant last night. And I thought it was really interesting is Cleveland threw out the same switching defense at Golden State, which early on I thought was going to be a mistake because Golden State had gotten used to it against Houston, and Golden State didn't get used to it until the night moved on. Golden State got pretty decent performances from Steph, 29, 24 from Thompson on 16 shots, 26 from, from Durant. They play a lot of bad players, by the way. Golden State, for as great as they are, they play a lot of like, Looney's not good. And Jordan Bell's not good. And David West can't play. I love Steve Kerr, though. I really do. I love Steve Kerr for this. David West could not play in the last series. Like, he played him. If you read my notes after game one, it's like he can't play. So, it's a new series, and Steve Kerr gives David West four minutes, and he can't play again, but he gave him a chance. Like, it's kind of cool. By the way, I don't know what's going on. And I don't know what's going on internally, but there's not a basketball reason for why Rodney Hood shouldn't play over Jordan Clarkson if Jordan if LeBron's on the floor. Like you can try to tell me that if Jordan that if Rodney Hood or if LeBron's not on the floor, you need Jordan Clarkson to play point guard. Okay, but in 18 games in the playoffs, Jordan Clarkson is shooting 30 percent from the field. from three and is turning it over at an outrageous rate. He's a career 33% three-point shooter. He's a half-decent player in isolation, but so is Rod. Rodney's better than Jordan Clarkson at everything. Other than maybe bringing the ball up the floor. Everything. He's a better career three-point shooter. He's a better one-on-one player. He's the same inadequate passer. He doesn't turn it over. They're both inadequate defenders. He's longer. So I don't know what's really going on there and what Rodney has done behind the scenes. Uh, Maybe he's just so disengaged he doesn't want to play. I don't know. But there's no explanation to why that is. The other one I have for Cleveland, if you know they're going to go at Kevin Love defensively on every possession 
and you have Kevin Love in the game, you might as well play Kyle Korver also. Think about this for a second. You're not playing Kyle Korver, and you're playing Jeff Green, who went three for nine and one of six from three because of the fact that he's a better defensive player. They're playing one-on-one isolation going at Kevin Love on every play. It doesn't matter if you have another bad defender out there. Follow me? Like, I, that that's... If we're going to get into this switching isolation one-on-one game all the time and people are hunting out individuals, you can play now multiple bad defenders. Because they're going after your worst one. So you might as well have Kyle Korver in the game who was plus 12 in 16 minutes in the left corner instead of Jeff Green who went one of six and three and can't shoot. Uh... So I think, you know, little subtle things there. I think those, I think that actually, that last one's significant. Block charge call. Probably the right call. I don't know. I never know. I'll do a whole dissertation on NBA officials at some point. I I have thoughts on, um, I'll put it on, I have a huge piece of paper here. Future topics. We have the favors topic we still have to do. We have the Jabari Parker topic we have down. We have the Aaron Gordon topic we have down on our future topics. And that we now have referees. What other are future topics do we have? The block charge, I don't know. Here's what I don't like. I don't think they should have reviewed it. There was no doubt that he was in so the rule is you have to say he was close to the restricted area and then if he was it, you can review that and then once you're reviewing that you have the right to change the block charge they just went the whole time to look at the block charge they didn't know tony brothers did one thing ken mauer did the other bad really bad and that was the reason they reviewed it and that's wrong all right, I want to get to jazz stuff. We'll get to that. Some thoughts on Tony Brown. Coming. Today's show is brought to you in part by Murdoch Hyundai. This is the best story I've ever heard about a Locked On Jazz listener. Maybe not the best, but pretty good. So I mentioned on the show the other day that I had to give my Kona back. And I was kind of bummed about it. I got a really cool Colorado uh, Chevy Colorado diesel truck from Murdoch Chevy, so I'm not too upset about it. But so I really kind of fell for the Kona. The Kona is the small SUV that Hyundai's come out with to compete with the Subaru Crosstrack that everyone's driving. And at first, I got it, and I was like, oh, it drives pretty well, but it's so small. And then I got used to the fact that it was small and just figured out how to deal with that. And, like, I have kids and stuff, and so it's probably not made for me to have with two kids and lugging stuff. But even then, it turned out to be great. Um, frankly, we had one seat down most of the time. So if you're a single person... You just, this doesn't bother, you know, single person driving a car. You just don't care about this. This is great. So it it was zippy. It was fun. It was easy. It was 30 miles to the gallon. Like I fully had fallen for the Kona. So when Blake texted me and said, hey, let's swap cars, I was kind of bummed about it. I mentioned it on the program. A list, one of you out there picked up the phone, called Murdoch Hyundai and said, I hear Locke's turning in his car. I'm going to buy it. So smart too, because they probably get a little discount because you know, I've been driving it. So, yeah, like the greatest thing I've ever heard about a Locked On Jazz listener is the fact that you guys literally support our sponsor to the point where you heard I was giving my car back and you bought it. So if anybody wants a Chevy Colorado 
diesel truck. I'll tell you about it over the next month, and then I'll let you know when I'm turning it in. You guys are the best. Today's show is also brought to you by The Advocates. Hopefully, when you're driving these cars, you don't get into a car accident. But unfortunately, those things happen. Other people are often at fault, and it's not your fault. And so you're in a situation where suddenly you're injured. You've got damages. Maybe you can't get to work. Whatever it is, the advocates, Utah advocates are here to help you. 801-355-5550. That's 801-355-5550. What Matt has built at the advocates over 25 years is a 106-step process to make sure that they get you good results, nothing bad happens, and they treat you well in the process. It's pretty amazing. You call 801-355-5550. A lawyer calls you in 60 seconds. Then when you get the the attorney on the case, they schedule you, get you in the system, and then it's like an airplane checklist, and it sounds impersonal but it's the exact opposite. It's experts at each task along the way and it allows your lawyer to interact with you and communicate with you. Accidents are different. The process is the same. This process the advocates have built means efficiency, means productivity, means communication, and means expediting the process and getting you the best results. Utah Advocates, 801-355-5550. That's 801-355-5550. Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. Multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app, and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees, and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30-plus health-conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple, because let's be honest here, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it, and if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, Tony Brown is going to be in town today. He's an interesting player out of Oregon. Um, and he's interesting because he's pretty big. There's some things I really liked about him, and then there's some things I didn't see. And let's be honest, I have not watched a lot of him yet. I watched about um, three, two different halves of basketball. Um, if you go back to him, he was a big-time recruit. So he chose Oregon over Kansas and Alabama um, and, and Arizona. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty, pretty big time kid. Um, he, he's interesting in this. He's very, very skilled. Um, he, he plays kind of at times he brings the ball up the floor. There were times when he was the point guard, um, on the floor. Um, he's out of Vegas. And and so he was a big, he's interesting. I kind of. I gotta say, I I don't like college basketball a lot, and so sometimes these five star recruits with all the accolades, they go to college and they look. Sometimes they don't look quite as good, and to me, that's um, I really then want to go look at that kid because I think it's something to do with college. In in his case, so I did not see him. Um, I did not see him uh, handle or shoot very well, so that. 
that is would be like the negative. I di- I'm giving you the negatives right now. I didn't see this like incredible athletic. There was an open floor play where he's going to the basket. And he's got to rise up, and he didn't. Um, so I didn't see that. But I thought I saw some interesting ball handling for a guy his size. I thought I saw. Um, I think he's about six five to six seven. It looked to me. I didn't. I'm really interested to see him in person. I didn't love the way he ran, of all weird things. There was something kind of on his toes about how he ran. Um, but I did like the ball handling. I did like the passing. I did like the idea at 6-7. He could um, bring the ball up the floor. I got to watch a lot more. Another one I noticed this was in the UCLA game. Like, he's in position to rebound, and he's in position to make plays, but he doesn't impact things very often. That's always something I always kind of want the player to jump off the floor. Um, I saw him come off the pick and roll and thought he was pretty good, which then got me really intrigued. He's interesting. Like, be picking in the 20s and have someone like him floating around, I think it's a really interesting concept. Uh, Statistically on his season, I looked it up. I always look at transition numbers because I think that tells me what kind of a basketball athlete they are. He was average. His pick and roll ball handling numbers were good. His isolation numbers were limited. He only had about 27. His spot up shooting was poor, about 33% on spot up shooting. So, you know, I'll be curious to see uh, whether you believe he can shoot. Um, when he had a catch and shoot unguarded this year, he was, re- he was 6 of 23. It's not a lot. Um, but according to Synergy, that's all he was when he was guarded. He was only tw- 30%. So his catch and shoot, he was only 29%. And off the bounce, he was only 27%. So I think what I saw out of him, the shooting is the issue. And the really good stuff is the length, the athleticism, the ball handling, the ability to run the pick and roll. And so is that shot got something wrong with it? Is it a lack of touch? It'll be interesting. It's probably why he's sitting where he is on the board um, and being – a player of that athleticism and that pedigree being around uh, possibly for the Jazz. All right, let's get to the leftover questions from yesterday's Facebook. I'll get to as many as I can, and frankly, we have time to get to them throughout the week. So, But let's see what I can do. Uh, what players? What, when do players usually come back to the team facilities and work during the offseason? So the answer is usually post-Labor Day. Um, that's been – and that for the Jazz over the years has been early. Like if they're getting post-Labor Day – that's good. Um, Dante Exum, Epe Udo, Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Faves. I think Faves. i got to make sure I'm right on that, but I think Faves. Have all been in. So Joe's in Australia. I'm assuming Ricky's in Spain. I'm sure Howell's in Brazil. You know, Rudy's in France. Like, you know, you don't expect them all to be here. But they are. the Jazz have built a... F- facility now the players want and a staff the players want to be around um so that's that's interesting who are some underrated pickups to keep an eye on i think most people may be disappointed in joe harris or anthony tolliver but i think they would be great boosts for the jazz bench i actually would agree with you on both of those players um anthony tolliver is interesting because i feel like he keeps bouncing around from team to team and um and I'm never quite entirely sure why that's the case. Um, because I, every time I prep a game in which he's involved, I always find myself thinking, wow, he really could be a factor today as a stretch. Uh, maybe his defense is just not good enough on things. Maybe his lack of ball handling is just not good enough. Um, 
But, I mean, I think he does some things pretty darn well, right? Um, his above-the-break three-point shooting on Anthony Tolliver last year was 44%. His corner three shooting is 41%. His mid-range shooting is only okay at 39%. He's not he's a little below average around the rim and in the key so he's you know he's not he's he's you know he's absolutely a catch and shoot isolation uh, you know stretch guy there's you're not looking for he's not going to post up he's not going to dribble drive he's not going to do a lot of those things um defensively maybe guys are hunting him out and going after him a little bit he's not great so that could maybe be it um, but yeah, as a bench pickup, he's a little funky in his size, right? He's six eight, so he's not quite a five, and he's probably not athletic enough to play the four to be able to go uh, defend. And that's then why he's a bench player. So you have to use him creatively. I don't know what his contract situations are. Joe Harris is really interesting. I think he's out of the University of Virginia, and he didn't do much. And then all of a sudden this year in Brooklyn in their player development program, I think he's restricted. He was great. Um, he's six six two nineteen. He's actually a high level athlete. He's pretty high on the turnover list, if I remember correctly. He turns the ball over um, a little bit more than you'd like, but his three point shooting was in the ninety second percentile of all NBA players last year. Played twenty five minutes a game on a not very good team, but he was forty five percent above the break three point shooter. Corner three was only thirty four. We need some above the break three point shooters. Uh, he's not a, an elite athlete, so he's only okay around the rim, and he was decent in the short mid-range. Um, he actually played off the drive a little bit more. I was a surprise when I looked that up, and he played – the only thing I would be a little nervous about is he got a ton of action in transition. Uh, um, and I also think he was uh, – but I like you know Brooklyn's system. He played, does a lot of things um, that we would like. He's a good pick-and-roll ball handler. Um, or he did a little bit on the pick and roll. So he did a little bit on the pick and roll. He did a, he did a little bit off handoffs because their system. I was a little surprised how often he went on drives and he got a lot in transition. So you have to keep an eye on that. And then defensively, same situation. Just not an elite athlete. Um, laterally, I think probably pretty good jumping and pro and is probably a little below. I haven't looked at his defensive plus minus, but those are good names. Those are you know those are the kind of Tabo Cephalosha, Epe Udo pickups that Joe Strebko pickups that at the time you're like huh, and they turn out to be pretty good. Do you see us trying to go after a big free agent or trade, or is it more realistic to try to get a mid level guy like Will Barton or Trevor Reza? Like I mean, you're always going after the big. I mean, if there's a player or team that's available. That makes you think that you're going to be able to, or play, you know, play or trade the available. That's going to make you. You're always going to go after. You know, oh, we're not going to try to do that. Like that seems kind of funky um, to say that. Will Barton's interesting. Um, I kind of like. I, I've grown. I, I didn't like Will Barton for a long time, and I've grown. I think he's grown uh, in an interesting manner, and I, I find myself. Liking Will Barton a little bit more. Still not a great shooter, but he's become a good corner three shooter. Uh, he played with the ball a ton last year and has gotten better at that. So this is now a guy, you know, who can handle. I, I think there's a really interesting, fascinating debate. If Ricky Rubio is your point guard, now this all changes if Ricky Rubio is not your point guard, but if Ricky Rubio is your point guard, and Donovan Mitchell's going to play 36 minutes tonight. He's playing 20 of them with Rubio. 
Who do you want next to Donovan for the other? What type of player do you want next to Donovan for the other 16 minutes? Do you want somebody who? Uh, do you want somebody who can really shoot it? Do you want somebody who can handle so he doesn't have to play with the ball in his hands? Or is that you all right with him playing 16 minutes? Do you want somebody who's long and can defend? Like, what is it you want? And understanding who Rubio is. So I personally think that you really want to make sure in those 16 minutes, I, you know, this might not be possible, that you've got another shooter next to him and the floor is open. And you put the ball in his hands and let him go to work. And you and those are probably, you know, favors comes back, you're not playing those minutes with two bigs, and you're really letting Donovan go to work in those, in those minutes without Rubio. Otherwise, you're playing him as a catch-and-shoot guy coming off picks, which is a part of his game we haven't hasn't developed yet, but you can do that with two bigs a little easier. And there's, So there's some really... There's some things you can do in that regard. Um, and I don't know. So in that sense, is Will Barton that guy? Will Barton's a nice player. Um, Trevor Ariza would be you're looking to add him as a 3-4 to replace Cephalosha and Jarebko. And you're bringing his toughness and his championship experience. And that, that has some real, probably some value to it. Uh, today's show is brought to you in part by Intercap Lending. Brock over there, Steve Carter over there do do great work. And I can tell you that because they did great work for me. I really, I cannot thank them enough for what our experience was because I suck. So, like, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. Like, if you, when I do Facebook Live, if you ever see, like, I, I, I am a, my brain, you guys know my brain. Well, my office looks like my brain. My organization looks like my brain. And so trying to get me to get all the mortgage documents and all those things together, holy smokes, it's like a mess. And my wife didn't want to deal with it, quite frankly. So it was on me during the middle of the season. And the only way this got done was because Steve Carter was just awesome. And because when I met with them the first time, Steve Carter said, we're using technology with our app to try to make a mortgage as easy as ordering a pizza online, which is the easiest thing you can do in life right now. So he backed it up. And that is what I can tell you about Intercap Lending, that they are using their technology to make things better. Also, they're a direct lender, so they can take care of difficult loans with low credit, self-employed, business assets, multiple properties, all those kind of things that might give you a little bit of difficulty, they can take care of it. They're not just your run-of-the-mill. They've been around for 40 years. Um, they're 385-800-8528. Call Steve Carter. Ask him what a zoo I was to deal with. 385-800-8528. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 19060465, intercaplending.com, Steve Carter, 385-800-8528. Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach. I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, 
it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains. I tried everything, massages, chiropractors, this at-home device, handheld percussive therapy has worked better than any of those for me. And now the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor. It's so quiet. It's no louder than an electric toothbrush. And best of all, you can try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need starts at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on, the name of this network right now, and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on, theragun.com slash locked on. Let's go back to those questions. They're great. Oh, it's my guy. I saved one from Brandon Weiss. I don't think it's Brandon Whiteside either. Oh, no, it is Brandon Whitesides. He's got He's got more than one side. Uh, he and I were going after each other yesterday. People got very – Brandon, I got to tell you, people, people did not understand that when I said I thought your question was stupid, that I thought you were stupid, and they were defending you to the end. The people out there were on your side. Switching everything is also ruining the league. Allowing your worst defender or player to defend out of position is a very bad coaching idea. Right, Brandon. I'm just giving you a hard time. Brandon, you're becoming a star on this show. All right? So the switching is really interesting. It is impacting the league greatly. It's the next trend. It's going to increase post-play again. You saw it last night a ton. You saw it with Kevin Love. And you're right. Allowing your worst defender or player to defend out of position is bad coaching. What else do you do about it? Now, we won't be a switching team because Rudy will just parole the middle. So we're going to be a little differently. We're going to switch one through four, and the rest of the league's going to switch one through five. But, Brandon, you're right that that is the worst defender. But what are you? how are you preventing that? That's, that's the only way you combat switching is to bring the defender you want to be defending your ball handler up to the switch and then play one-on-one. There's nothing else you can do. You can't pick and roll switch. You can't off-ball screen switching because, by definition, the premise of those plays is to get you at a disadvantage. Our whole offensive premise is advantage basketball, and we have a very hard time when teams are switching. This is going to be difficult for the Jazz to deal with, this kind of switching, because our instinct is to not play isolation. But I was talking to Quinn the other day, and he was like, we're going to play one-on-one all the time in practice now. That's where... It's, it's not aesthetically pleasing, but it's where the game's going. My dream is that the Jazz bring back favors. He's able to get 30% on his three points to just clear the paint for Mitchell. I don't think that would clear the paint. That's one of the problems. I don't know, and I haven't done the deep dig yet on, um, on how Donovan's numbers were with one big versus two, which is a worthwhile thing. So... First of all, let's make sure we're really being honest about what you're saying. I'm a big Derek fan, but Derek is 18 of 89 in his career from three, which is 20%. He took 63 last year. He made 14, which is 22%. Do I think he can get to 30? Yeah, maybe. When he, you know, it's interesting. He says like, well, now that I know I got to shoot it, I'm maybe. Do I think? I mean, he his effective field goal percentage this year was so great, 57%. Do, but Derek's jump shooting truly came out as like one of the worst in the league last year. 
Do I think that teams will honor it is really what you're asking, and I don't. So he'll always be able to get them, and then the question is, do you have enough confidence to have that just become a threat? And I think that that, that gets to be difficult. Are we going to have a legitimate chance at Otto Porter? Don't know if somebody has asked you yet or not. Just got on. Love your show. Thanks. So the Otto Porter situation is interesting because Washington has serious salary cap problems. And they're tied into the roster that they have, which is John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter. And they're at $123 million last year, and they have $124 million on the books. They have Yamahimi at 16, Marcin Gortat at 13 next year. Those, those are problems. And Otto Porter at 26 next year. Oh, yeah, 26 next year, 27 the year after, and a player option, 28. Their real problem is John Wall goes to 37 and 40 and 43 with bad knees. <sighs> so he is who they like to trade. They're not going to be able to trade him. Bradley Beal's probably too good. So then Otto Porter becomes the player they trade to clear space, to open up their roster, to not pay tax, to try to do things. And how, you know, do the Jazz, would the Jazz be able to have the best offer out there on Otto Porter? So that's the first thing is I'm not sure I think that the Jazz could go get enough, have enough of a package to put together to go get Otto Porter. If, in fact, they decided that they wanted to trade Otto Porter, what the Jazz would have to offer is probably the ability to clear a bunch of space. Um, so, you know, you're sending him Alec Burks and his $10 million. You're just doing – I mean, these are just based on um, trying to get enough numbers together. And you're, you're trading them – Alec Burks, Tabo Cephalosha, Jonas Jerebko, and pro, you know, and the value on Jerebko and Cephalosha is that their contracts both expire. Um, now, and, and you make this trade, and you, you know, there's probably a few things you have to. Now, what gets interesting is what else when they say they want Joe Ingles? Are you still interested in Otto Porter? Um. Right? Like, where, where, how much do you want Otto Porter? Because if I'm Washington, you give me Joe Ingles in the first round pick, I'm probably doing this deal. Now, Otto Porter's pretty good. 94th percentile in the half court. Only 11% of his offense came as the ball handler in the pick and roll, so you'd like to see more of it, but he was really good at it. His passing numbers weren't super out. He ran 387 pick and rolls last year. He averaged 1.05 points per possession when doing it with Cortat, which is awesome. He was not good with Morris or Mahimi. His drives per game were pretty good at 1.06, which we need in a little isolation play. His effective field goal percentage was 57.9. He was the eighth best shooter in the league based on the shots he took. So his effective field goal percentage was higher than the quality of shots he took. By the eighth largest margin, Kyle Korver, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Nikola Mirotic, 
Kyrie Irving, and Mike Scott. He was 96 percentile coming off ball screens, which we run more than any team in the league. He's 44% above the break three-point shooter where the Jazz have struggled and don't have a lot of good other than Joe Ingles three-point shooters. He's not great in isolation, only 32nd percentile. He was average in post-up, which we just talked about as something that might matter. But he's truly one of the best jump shooters in the NBA. 64% effective field goal percentage on catch and shoot. 72% when unguarded. Only took 42 shots off the bounce um, as three-point shooters, but he made 45%. He's got to take a lot more of those. I I like Otto Porter an awful lot. Am I willing to do Joe Ingles? Not sure I like Otto Porter's number. I think Joe Ingles' contract value at $14 million. I also... Don't, wouldn't look at Otto Porter. The one thing I think you have to be careful on Otto Porter, don't look at him as a third pick talent. That draft was awful. That draft was truly awful. So I know he's a third pick. You're like, you're getting a third pick. Yeah, I don't know you are. Because that draft was awful. So it's an interesting, um, I don't actually think the deal that I just put together actually worked entirely. Um... I um, it would, and it would pro. It I don't think you'd be able to re-sign everybody the same way either. So, um, there, there. But it's an interest. It's you know, you're now Porter, Mitchell, and Gobert. Here's the thing. I'll say this: this is the two pieces of luxury the Jazz have. One is they can go take a player who might be an inadequate defensive player at some position because of the fact that they have Rudy Gobert. Second, they can probably take an overpriced player because Donovan Mitchell's on his rookie scale. That's the two luxuries the Jazz have to play with here. That, my friends, is Locked on Jazz. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. I'll get to some of those other questions as well. We'll continue our player reviews. We'll do the favors. We'll do our future topics as well. Have a great one. Talk to you soon. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked on Fantasy Basketball podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked on Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked on Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.